We were exhausted. It had been an anxious journey that had basically taken us all day and it wasn't a relaxed experience. Quite the opposite, it was full of anxiety. Would we get there in time? What would we find when we arrived? Finally, we we got there and we parked the car and my sister Anne's young children greeted us as we wearily walked up the path to the front door. And we walked into the house and there she was, smiling at us, beautiful and clearly very sick. Anne's cancer diagnosis had only been 18 months ago and the end of her journey was very close now. And after chatting very briefly, she she went for a lie down. So I went into Anne's kitchen to, to make us a drink. My eyes immediately welled up and my throat tightened. Across the kitchen, all over it in fact, were helpful little lists that Anne had written and pinned everywhere. Words that were little vital fragments of the life that Annie had been holding together for her family. On the fridge, there were the important activities listed that the the children do during the week. On the cupboard, she listed the times when the bins had to be taken out. Annie was given no choice. She was planning to say goodbye to a family that couldn't bear to let her go. And that family included me. I steadied myself on the kitchen counter, reached for a coffee mug. This was going to be a really tough experience. Welcome to Respond. Here's your host, Stuart Gray. Respond comes out of my experience as a Christian. Sometimes I've had opportunities to talk about the reasons why Christianity makes sense to me. Other times, I've not had these opportunities, but I wish I had. My aim for this podcast is maybe to open up issues that you might have if you're unconvinced about Christianity so far. And perhaps it'll also give the already convinced some help talking about Christianity with interested friends. Hey, how are you doing? You know, this episode we're going to continue to to talk about the problem of evil in the world. And as you heard from my introduction, I've got a little bit of experience of suffering in my own life. Uh, You will most likely have more than me, but I've known what it is to have to say goodbye to someone. And that was a time of suffering. And I think suffering is caused by evil in the world. But what is evil? St. Augustine defined evil this way. Just as dark is defined in regards to the absence of light, so Christian thought has defined evil as the absence of good. Evil's what is not supposed to be. Whether it's a piece of rotting fruit in a fruit bowl, or it's a life-threatening disease. It's wrong. It's evil. There are two types of evil. The first one is called moral evil, and 
it results from the misuse of somebody's will. Think about drunk driving. Think about murder. Think about lying. These are examples of moral evil. But there's a second type of evil. It's called natural evil. Here there's no such moral component. Instead, you're faced by an event in the world that is natural and yet threatens to end someone's life, like cancer. You know, just as evil comes in two types, people deal with evil in two different ways. First, there's the emotional problem of evil. This emotional problem is something I had to work through myself. These are deep feelings of outrage mixed with sadness that faced me as I was standing in my little sister Anne's kitchen, (laughs) dealing with my feelings about her sickness and her imminent death. And at that point, I wasn't interested in intellectual answers. I, I wasn't thinking about why evil existed in the world. I wanted to be with those experiencing this deep suffering. This emotional problem of evil doesn't ask for an intellectual solution. Rather, it asks, do you care? Are you their God? If you're their God, then do you care? Can you help? But there is a second way that people deal with evil. And I'm going to call it the intellectual problem of evil. There is a time to ask important questions about why people suffer. And for some people, this provokes the question, does suffering count as evidence that God doesn't exist? Well, many people think so. And I know folks who have lost their faith in God as a result of the problem of evil. It hasn't done that to me. So let me ask, How do we approach the intellectual problem of evil? Well, in this episode, we're going to look at two types of the intellectual problem. They've got specific names. The first approach to the intellectual problem of evil is called the logical problem. The second approach is called the evidential problem. So, the logical problem says this. It is logically impossible for God to exist if suffering people exist. You can't have one if you have the other. Just like you can't draw a square circle. You cannot believe in the God of the Bible in the face of human suffering, according to the logical problem of evil. God coexisting with suffering is like a square circle. It's a logical contradiction. But I'd like to ask, is it? Is God in suffering a logical contradiction? Well, many sceptics think so. So why is it that the sceptic sees this contradiction? I mean, clearly, suffering and pain hurts. That's why it's a problem. Does it question God's existence? I think the sceptic makes two assumptions that turn out to be wrong. Here's their first wrong assumption. If God is all-powerful, God can make any world 
that he wants. Why is that assumption wrong? The problem is, yes, God is all-powerful, but that does not mean he can make whatever kind of world he wants to. For example, he can't make a world where bachelors are married because, well, bachelors are men who are not married. So to say someone is a married bachelor is to state something that's logically impossible. Here's another thing God can't do. He cannot make a world where he preserves human free will and also makes people do what he wants them to do. That is logically impossible. He can't compel someone to act freely. You know, in the last episode, I I talked about why human free will is just so important to people and, and why it makes no sense to claim that we lack free will. And you know, the Bible assumes that from the beginning to the end, humans have been given free will by God. So, if that's the case, God cannot control us if he's going to allow us to be free. If we have free will, we can choose to do other than we do. You know, if God had wanted to control his creation, he would have made a world full of robots, not free people like us. Here's the thing. By creating a world filled with free creatures, God is constrained by this. And the world is going to reflect moral evil because people are free to make bad choices. So if God's all-powerful, he can make any world he likes? No. Not if he's going to honour the free will that he gave us. But there's a second assumption that the sceptic makes. He says this, If God is all-loving, then God prefers a world without suffering. Basically, what this is saying is, God would much rather a world where we all sit in a circle singing Kumbaya or something. Now, I've got to say that sounds pretty dull and boring. But basically, the sceptic assumes that God would prefer our existence to be pain-free. And because our existence isn't pain-free, maybe God's not there. Hang on a minute. Is this right? No. Not at all. Now, why do I say that? Well, consider this. What if the level of suffering in the world could be used by God for his good ends? Basically to save people who previously were lost. What if God could use our suffering for our good? Now, how might that work? Well, lots of sufferings due to our bad decision making in life. Can't God use the consequences of our bad decisions to teach us important lessons? I'm speaking for myself. I've learned more by by doing than reading books. It's the best way to learn. By experience. So surely we all learn lots and lots through our own pain. Here's the thing. Christianity is full of evidence that God's got overriding reasons to allow suffering because he can turn that suffering round for our good. In the New Testament, in 1 Peter 3.18, it describes an example of this. It says this, 
Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Now what this is saying is that even though Jesus Christ had done no wrong, he freely bore the consequences of mankind's rebellion against God and mankind's immorality towards other people. Christ suffered to give us a chance to be pardoned by God. God allows a world full of suffering to overflow onto his son. Why? Well, he's got his eye on our ultimate good. So, the assumption was, if God is all loving, then he prefers a world without suffering. Well, no, not if. God can use suffering to save people. So both of these assumptions have been false. Where does that leave us? Well, the logical problem of evil says that the existence of God and the existence of human suffering are logically incompatible. But that's not the case. As we've seen, God can have good reasons for allowing suffering to exist in the world. First of all, he wants to protect our free will. And he also wants to teach us good lessons through our suffering. And all that comes together in the saving death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the logical problem of evil goes away. But there's a second problem. It's called the evidential problem of evil. Now here, the sceptic changes the objection. He no longer says God's logically incompatible with evil. What he says is that it's improbable that God would have good reasons for permitting suffering in the world. And because there is suffering, that means God probably doesn't exist. Well, this objection, the evidential problem, doesn't work. I've got three ways to show that the evidential problem of evil doesn't work. Here's the first one. Humans are very limited. Why should we expect to know whether or not God would have good reasons for allowing suffering in the world? Think of it this way. In the 20th century, cosmologists learned a lot about the universe. But we are really just at the early stages of understanding how the cosmos works. The exciting thing is, we have so much more to learn. Now, if you drew a circle representing all the possible knowledge in the universe, how much of that circle would account for human knowledge? Probably a pretty small, tiny sliver. Yet, if God created this universe, he has got all this knowledge that we, at the moment, lack. He is greater than us in every way. So, we should not expect to be able to discern God's reasons for permitting every instance of suffering in the world. So we can't know whether suffering makes God unlikely. Here's a second reason the evidential problem lacks force against God's existence. Now, it claims that God's existence is improbable. Well, compared to what? If we compare God's existence just to the suffering in the world, then okay, God's existence might seem improbable. But what if we compare God's existence to suffering and all the evidence that God does exist as well? Things start to look a bit different. Here's what I mean. Imagine I told you that 70% of Scottish schoolboys in the 1970s liked football. Now, 
I'm Scottish and I attended school during that time period. So what's the likelihood that I liked football? It's pretty high, 70% in fact. Now, what if I also said that 100% of the kids in the chess club didn't like football? And I was a member of the chess club. Well, that changes the picture completely, doesn't it? Previously, you were pretty sure, 70% sure that I liked football. But now you know I was in the chess club, you completely, absolutely know that I did not like football. And you'd be right. So what changed? Well, we expanded the scope of the evidence. And it's the same with the likelihood of God's existence. If we add all the evidences from nature that point to God, things like the cosmological argument that we looked at back in episode 5, and the other naturalistic arguments for God that we've not spoken about, things like the moral argument for God, or the evidence from consciousness. Maybe we'll speak about those at some time. How about the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead? We looked at that in episodes 3 and 4. There are many pointers towards God's existence in the world. So if we add all of that evidence with the evidence of human suffering, then that changes the likelihood of God's existence entirely. Because he becomes much more likely, even though people do suffer. But here's the third reason that the evidential problem of evil doesn't work in showing Christianity to be false. It's because the Bible teaches that living life as a Christian believer increases the likelihood of suffering in our lives. Here's the point. Christianity says God's less interested in building my comfort and he's more interested in building my character. And character is built during difficult times in life when we choose to stay close to God. So the evidential problem of evil doesn't work. Because actually the reverse is true. The existence of suffering, according to Christianity, makes God much more likely because he's allowing times of hardship to grow our characters. Now, surely an experience like mine where I'm losing a loved one to a hideous disease, surely that's one of the most difficult experiences that one can have. But why does it have to happen? Why, why is there a natural problem of evil? Why do people get sick and die? Well, the Christian's answer to this has always pointed to humanity's main problem. You know, the first human beings rebelled against their creator. We read about that in the opening chapters of Genesis. But it's a theme, actually, that's repeated throughout the whole of Scripture. The problem is, every human being that's been born since has been undermined by their rebellion against God. Humans were supposed to, to live with God forever, yet our rebellion not only broke our relationship with God, but led to God cursing the ground. This changed nature. This opened up the opportunity for lethal storms, cells going out of control and becoming cancer. And in general, the world just not being right. And we've been attending funerals ever since. So, human sickness and death is incredibly painful. But does it make God's existence unlikely? No. No, it doesn't. 
what it does do is it points to the seriousness of the consequences of mankind's rejection of God. The world is not as it should be, and the reason links back to mankind's rejection of God. Couldn't God just stop the consequences for our rebellion? Couldn't he just make sickness and death go away? Well, I guess if he did, he'd be sending a clear message that rebellion is okay, but it's not. He wants us to understand the consequences of our rebellion. He wants us to run to him for the real solution. It's about us deciding to turn around, to let go of our rebellious hearts and instead give our lives to the God who does love us. You know, being reconciled with God, that's not going to fix the world, but it will lead to him completely forgiving me on the basis of the cost and the consequences of my rebellion being paid in full through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Here's where we've got to. God doesn't cause my suffering, but he allows it. The world's not as he wanted it to be. Brokenness, it's a consequence of mankind's choices. But God's clever. He can use this broken world and our suffering and turn them round for our good. To turn our hearts back to him. You see, God in suffering isn't illogical. And God's not unlikely just because people suffer. Actually, it's quite the reverse. Because suffering points to the truth of Christianity. You know, in the weeks and months that followed Anne's tragic death... She was only 37 when she died. I, I experienced something. Even as I wrestled with my own grief, I also experienced God's closeness and his peace and his strength in my life in a way that I'd never known before. I don't know why God allowed Anne to die at such a young age, but I've seen some of the effects of this that have been good. Good that's come into my life and also in the lives of other people. But you know, the story doesn't end in the here and now. Because there's a bright future to look forward to. Jesus taught about an eternal home waiting in heaven. And when believers in Jesus get there, I suspect that the times of pain and suffering that we've known in our lives, they're going to look tiny in comparison to the wonderful future that's laying out ahead of us in heaven. So I'm going to be taking a, a couple of weeks off from the podcast, but when I come back, I'm going to be talking about a really crucial issue for a lot of people. It's this. Why is it that God seems to be so hidden and so difficult to find? Let's talk about that in a couple of weeks. See you then. <laughs>